0: How the people of Israel respond to God's provision. So before we jump into the story where we're going to hang out for a lot of tonight, I want to set us up for where we are at in the book of Exodus. So let's go back a few chapters. Um, If you would turn with me, it will be on the screen. If you want to go to Exodus 24, and we'll be in verses 3 through 5. It says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all of the people answered with one voice and said, all of the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all of the words of the Lord, and he sent young men of the people of Israel who offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. So here, not I mean, there's, this is not many verses, but we get a lot of context here. Um, so here, Moses comes to the people and tells them the words of the Lord. The Israelites agree and proclaim together that they will do what the Lord has spoken. So I know we get that here. We get that they've agreed to something, but let's look at what they've agreed to. We're going to look a tiny bit into what this is that they've agreed to. So this includes the Ten Commandments, which is situated in chapter 20 of Exodus, and we're going to turn there. This passage that we'll go through is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. We don't have time to go into all of them, so we're just going to look at the first two together. So Exodus 20, and the Lord spoke all of these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself, this is the second, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So, these are the first two commandments. Um, God here is setting up a framework for how the Israelites are to live and be God's people. This is a new identity for them and how to walk this out. This is what God is setting up here. So here's why these first two are so important. We're going to go through them each individually. The first says, you shall have no other gods before me. So God is declaring his holiness above all, his worth as a sovereign king, his rightful place as Lord of all. Through this first command, God actually demands his people to see and worship him rightly. That's what this commandment is all about. And the second is a chunk. The first one's just the line. That's all we get, but this one gives a lot more context, and the heart of this is that you shall make for yourself, you shall not make for yourself any carved images. So here, God is addressing man-made representations of other gods himself or idols, um, and so God's heart behind this law is to not let human creation, although it is beautiful and reflects his image in a lot of ways, like you saw creativity happen here tonight with music. It's a beautiful thing. Um, But his heart behind this is to not let human creation get in the way of knowing God who is far beyond our comprehension. So this, this is the heart of this. So we see here the beginning of the commandments set forth by God. Like we sort of talked about earlier, here God is saying that in my design and in my care for you as my people, as Israel, here is the way to live. And so God gives this law for their good because he is a good God. Remember, these people are coming from a context of oppression, under a ruler who is really only seeking to enslave them. Um, it's not not He is not for their good. Um, and so... This God has proven, God has proven himself as faithful, taking them out from under that enslavement, um, and he has proven himself, even though by himself, just because of who he is, he's worthy of honor and glory, and praise simply because of who he is. So God has given this law, which includes these, and is what God gives, like I said, it's a lot more than this, but this is part of what God has given them. Um, as a way to live in light of being brought into freedom and being saved. He's giving the Israelites a way to live out their identity as God's beloved and chosen people. So, like I said, although I would love to dive into a lot more of these laws, and there's a lot more than just the Ten Commandments here yeah, we need to move on for the sake of time, and so if you want to talk in more in depth about these things, I would love to talk to you. I'm sure other staff members would love, especially Daniel, I see him looking, I uh, would love to talk to you about these commandments. I didn't mean to call you out but um, with you later on, but for now, this is just giving us a context as to what the Israelites have agreed to, the fact that they verbally agreed to these things. So now that we have this idea, we're going to continue back in chapter 24, where we sort of left off. So, if you want to go back there, we'll be in verse 12. So the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I've written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, Let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the clouds covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up onto the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So obviously here we we see that Moses goes up onto this mountain. It says that several times, and it says that in different ways. Um, So Moses goes up on the mountain to be with God, and God gives Moses here in, in this period of 40 days more instructions on top of what the Israelites have already been given and agreed to. Um, And so this includes vast detail and instruction on how to construct the tabernacle. Daniel went over that last week. That's sort of where we were at last week is looking at the tabernacle and God's instructions there. Um, But really here, especially that last verse where Moses goes up onto the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, this is where we find ourselves tonight. Um, And we're actually going to be reading about what's happening at the base of the mountain. So, Before we get into reading this whole passage, I wanna kind of give us a framework for how to enter this time. I'm gonna read through all of Exodus 32. And while you might be sitting there and you're like, why is this girl reading all of this? That's a question, that's a great question. Um, I want us to really be in the story. I want us, you can follow along if that makes you comfortable, but I want us to actually position ourselves and immerse ourselves in the story. So if you feel comfortable closing your eyes or just listening, I want us to be here in the story. And this was actually how scripture was read in these times and through the New Testament is they were a very oral culture and not everyone could read. And so it it was sort of proclaimed to a group of people like we're doing tonight and they read long chunks of scripture. So here we are, Exodus 32. Let's read it. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up. with a graveling, graving tool, and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf, and have worshiped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored of the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, remember Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all of this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, tablets that were written on both sides, front and back, were they written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets." As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink from it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do that you have brought such a great sin upon them? He's their leader. He's calling them out. And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf, the one that Aaron made. Okay, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin, but they have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I've spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Okay, deep breath. We made it. We made it through. (laughs) We did it, guys. Okay, So cool, this this is where we're at tonight. Exodus 32, we just read the whole thing, feel good. All right, so in light of this text, we're gonna answer a few questions. The first of those being, why should the Israelites obey God in the first place? So like we've mentioned through going through the first two commandments and the law that God has given, the Torah or law means a way of living. So this is the way that God is inviting them to live. So for them, obeying these commandments will transform them into a people that represent God. So like we went over earlier, God is setting up a framework for how to live and be God's people through this law. So the goal for obeying God's law is to reflect God's character to the world. So if we go back to expand upon this a little more, dig into this a little more, let's go back to Exodus chapter 19. We'll be in verses 3 through 6. We'll read this together. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests in a holy nation these are the words that you shall speak to the people of israel so back to our question why should the israelites obey god this is god's heart for his people obeying his commandments that they might be a kingdom of priests in a holy nation that they may know god so This is the heart of the why behind the Israelites obeying God. Their obedience is derived from a place of seeing God rightly. His salvation, his mercy, his faithfulness, his care, his love. The reason the Israelites should listen and obey God's law is because their action reflects their view of God. So if they would truly believe that they are to be and become God's treasured possession among all peoples. This is already true of them, but they're becoming more of this identity through this way of living. Their obedience would actually overflow from the posture of their hearts in gratitude, in awe of their Lord. But as we see, as this story unfolds, actually pretty much at the very beginning, um, the Israelites blatantly disobey the, the first two commandments that they agreed to obey. Which leads us to our next question. Why don't the Israelites obey God? So ultimately, the answer to this question is pretty simple. They just don't, they don't trust God. Um, They can't see God rightly, and therefore their obedience doesn't come out of a place of seeing God rightly because of the distrust they derive from Moses' absence. Um, if we want to pull up Exodus 32, one, I apologize, you've seen this a lot of times because it repeats itself in the chapter and now we're reading it again. But um, just to read it again, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves up together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So the Israelites respond to God in this way because they've forgotten God's intention through his law. So God is not Pharaoh, and that is obvious to them, but they've really forgotten that in their hearts. Pharaoh's rule over the Israelites was enslavement by law. That was the only goal of the law, is to enslave them and keep them there. But God's commandments are freedom. It's a way to life that lets them live out their identity in a way that is honoring to the Lord. And so, They were previously under this oppressive law, and so ultimately the Israelites are kind of grappling with this inner heart posture, and what that reveals is that they ultimately would rather be slaves and be in control, and no, than be free and not be in control. This is what this is revealing about their, their hearts, is that any sort of muddying of what they think is going on leads them to disobedience because of their heart. So this exposes the reasoning behind their heart issue. There's a lack of trust which hinders them from seeing God rightly as a caring Lord. So now that we see that the Israelites should obey God, and on top of that, they agreed, and then they turn around and, like God says, they quickly turn from his wall, his his way of living, kind of begs the question, well, what is God's response to this? And as we read, um, the Lord said to Moses, if we want to put verse 9 and 10 back up there, the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So his response is rightly placed anger. While this seems like God's just sort of like uprooting the whole thing and deciding to go with another plan. His goal is to make a great nation of them. So his promise is at the heart of his response, but it's rightly placed anger because they have disobeyed, they have rebelled. And so from then we see that Moses actually implores of God. If we wanna go back to verse 12, continue on. So this is what Moses implores of the Lord. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I've promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken bringing on his people. So we see that God's response is rightful wrath, but he shifts his perspective to choosing to be faithful to these people, even though it will cost him. Like he sees their response and he knows it will cost him. Um, And that's that's a choice that God made um, because of his faithfulness to his people. And so all of this is true of the Israelites. It's true of this story. We've just been going over what's true of them. But for us, Let's ask the question, what is God inviting us into? So God has created us for relationship with him. God is inviting us into this very thing, relationship with him, through his way of life. And if you don't already have a relationship with God, if all of this is new to you, or if you already have a relationship with God, his heart, he is always calling us into deeper relationship with him. And so just as God called the Israelites deeper into relationship with him through the law, God is calling us into deeper relationship with him through Jesus. So God's invitation to us um, is to be cared for by him, to be in relationship with him as sovereign Lord of the universe who cares for us as his very own, as his people. And so... If this is true, if God's invitation is to us, is to be in relationship with him, which implies that we are to live in this way, why should we obey him? Why should we enter into obedience to this way of life? So here, I wanna sort of pivot and I wanna share a story. So growing up, it was always a dream for us Huffman kids to have a zip line. It was a dream. We begged our parents to fill this one for as long as I can remember. And one Saturday, my dad spent all of this time building this zip line, but really only had two options for trees, one at the front, one at the end. And what this resulted in was about six foot off the ground. I'm 5'3", so maybe like this tall. You all sort of get the picture off of the ground. Um, and... While we were super excited, super thankful, we were a little disappointed. So whenever we went off the zip line, it was like we had the handles and we'd be sort of like sagging, trying to keep up, and our feet were like maybe a foot off the ground, and we're little kids. And so it was sort of a disappointment, although we were thankful. So flash forward to when my family moved in 2009, us kids just basked in the glory of our new backyard. It was flat, but then had this massive hill up in the back. Covered, I mean, absolutely covered in the biggest oak and pine trees I'd ever dreamed would be in our backyard. So, this dream of a zip line finally became realized over the next couple years as our dad built us a tree house. It was awesome, it's at like 10 feet off the ground. And the zipline actually came off of the treehouse. It was kind of awesome. So you start to high off the ground, and then you sort of like zoom 100 feet across our backyard. It was sick. Um, it was awesome. This was like the best. So to give you a picture of what this looks like, you have the treehouse, and then the zipline comes off the treehouse. And an important part was the mechanics of the zipline. So you have the handle like we had before, but we actually had a swing on it. We could sit on it. And there was a rope that came off the swing. And this is probably the most important part of this story is the rope. So the rope, you can't, like us little kids, we could not get, I mean, we were like nine, but we could not get the zip line back up to the treehouse in order to use the zipline without this rope. But my dad had two rules for the zip line. Only two. The first, when we were in the treehouse, he just said, don't climb over the railing, don't like, just stay. Where the railing is, so railing was around the treehouse except for the part that you like jumped off, basically, to get on the zipline. The second rule was so simple, and it had to deal with the rope. Don't hold the rope when somebody is going off of the zipline. It sounds so obvious, but we—that was that was the one rule—is use the rope to get the zipline back up to the treehouse. Don't use it any other time. I explain all of this because I needed it to be explained to me in a lot of detail. So one day, my sister and I had a friend over, our beloved next-door neighbor. We played all the time. And she had sort of watched this whole process, like the, the building of the treehouse and the zip line come together. And although she was like super excited, she was terrified of the zip line. Our sweet neighbor was terrified. But we wanted her to have fun. We were like, all right. I mean, we were, we were scheming. We were like, how can we make this the best experience for her? We had this wonderful idea of slowly releasing her from the treehouse holding the rope. We thought it was genius. We we're like, she can just start a little later. She won't have to jump on the zipline from the treehouse. Like, it was just perfect. We thought we were, like, struck gold. We were like, this is awesome. We thought this, I, this, we just thought it was so genius. Like, I can't even get that across to you. We thought about it and we were like, this is going to be the best. So what we found when we let our friend go while holding the rope is that my sister, I don't know why she was the one tasked with this job, but she was the one that was holding the rope. And so I'm on the ground, and what I see is two things happening at the same time. My neighbor is going down the zipline, having the time of her life, success. But I see Gracie falling off of the treehouse, over the railing, down 10 feet, Onto the ground. I mean, in a moment where we forgot, I like, I genuinely, I genuinely forgot that my dad even had that rule. Like, I was confused when he was like, well, y'all disobeyed my, I was like, I did not even remember. Like, that was the last thing crossing my mind. We were like, our friend, it's gonna be awesome. Like, that was the only thing we're thinking about. We quickly figured out the reason for his rule. So if we would have followed This one rule about the stupid rope off of the zipline swing, it would have spared Gracie a traumatic experience and a broken arm. Like, it just would have spared her those things. It was also traumatic for me. I saw her fall off the treehouse. But it would have spared her these things. And while we understood that our dad cared for us, we saw him provide for us, we saw him, like, build the thing. Like, we saw him do all this stuff. And honestly, I would be pretty annoyed as a parent if my kids were like, build us a treehouse. I'd be like, are you kidding me? He did all that, and he loved every second of it. But we failed to really believe that his rule had an intention behind it. And so just like the Israelites, we would rather do things, this is what we did, and this is the reality for us, that we would rather do things our own way and be in control than be free within the way God has us to live. So what we want is freedom. That's what we want. And that's what God is providing. But what we don't realize is that what we view as freedom is actually enslavement. So let's, let's go to 1 John 5, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. We should obey God because it benefits us for our flourishing and our relationship with God. His commands are not burdensome, like this passage talks about. God's commands are really invitations. He's inviting us, like we've been talking, into this way of life. So just like my dad, um, fathers care for their children and they want to do what's best for him. That was the sentiment of my father in providing these rules. And I felt that Um, when a father asks his child to do something, it is for their benefit. When God asks us to obey his commandments, we should listen to him and we should obey God because he is a good father with our best interests in mind. That's his heart. He is always motivated by love. That is what he's motivated by. He's not motivated by control or rule. Although that is what is true of him is that he is sovereign and is ruler and is holy and is set apart and reigns over us. That is not what he is motivated by. He is motivated by love. Um, we can listen and obey God. and We can obey God's commandments because God is for us and his intentions for us are good. So let's pray together. God, we just thank you for the truth of your word um, that we see in Exodus, that you are compassionate, um, but that your rules are for us, um, that your rules and your commandments and these things that you set out for us as your people are invitations into a way of life with you. We thank you for Jesus, we thank you for the way that Jesus lived out these commandments perfectly. Um, He lived a life without sin, yet became sin on our behalf. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life, um, and we thank you for the cross. Um, And we look to Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith, and we just, we thank you for the way that Jesus invites us into this way of life with you